Hi, and welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by The Spectator World. I'm your host, Amber Athey. I'm The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm joined by Mary Margaret Olihan, who is a reporter with The Daily Wire, and she's been covering all um, a bunch of cultural issues lately, actually, but especially this leak of the majority opinion from the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. And this was leaked to Politico, I believe, on Monday. And Mary Margaret, can you just kind of walk us through what exactly the the timeline was in terms of when Politico got this and what exactly that opinion said? Yes. So on Monday, all hell kind of broke loose after (laughs) this opinion was leaked. I mean, my week has been crazy. I'm sure your week has been crazy, Amber. DC just kind of unleashed. So Politico got hold of this draft opinion written by Justice Alito, and the opinion is overturning Roe v. Wade. Now, that opinion is from February, so it's possible that this is not what we will see when the justices finally deliver their ultimate opinion. But based on what I've heard and based on what we know, it is very likely that this is what we are going to hear, is that Roe v. Wade is overturned and that the justices ruled um, with the pro-lifers in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is the Supreme Court case that this is all related to. But since then, what we're hearing from a lot of pro-life commentators or conservative commentators is that this draft opinion was leaked on purpose from a SCOTUS staffer who works for a liberal justice who's worried that Roe v. Wade is about to be overturned. And so this was leaked in an attempt to intimidate and pressure the court. That's what we're hearing a lot. There's a lot of evidence showing that this is likely the case. I mean, we've seen so many different tactics like this. In September, I went and saw protesters at Justice Kavanaugh's home. They were protesting outside his house about abortion. I mean, we saw all these attacks on Amy Coney Barrett. We saw all these attacks on Brett Kavanaugh before he even was accused of all these horrible assault allegations back in what, 2018? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was the fall of 2018. Yeah, so we just, this has been a long standing liberal anxiety inducing campaign. You know, they're very worried about protecting abortion access, as they call it, um, or the right to abortion, uh, which, you know, <laughs> not, not a constitutional right to abortion as far as we know. Uh, so, Since this draft opinion was leaked, we're seeing a lot of, I would say, mostly peaceful unrest in the nation's capital. We've seen some some violence in, I believe, Los Angeles. There's been some fighting with police in these protests in New York. Uh, There's protests everywhere. And we've also heard that these groups are calling for protesters to go to the homes of the Supreme Court justices and to demonstrate there. And this is pretty alarming We've also heard that Ruth sent us, which is one of these groups, has been calling for protesters to go to Catholic churches on Mother's Day and to protest for abortion in these Catholic churches on Mother's Day. So a lot, a lot going on here. Yeah, that last portion is especially concerning to me because it's been reported on over the past couple of years that there's been a lot of incidences of vandalism and uh arson involving Catholic churches. And I imagine that these protests could really just kind of inflame those tensions even more. And you mentioned the fact that the SCOTUS's personal addresses had been posted online. And I think that goes back to 
a lot of conservatives talking about this in terms of an intimidation tactic. To me, it doesn't really make sense why someone clerking for conservative justice would leak this. I don't really know what the what the positive angle of that might be. It definitely makes more sense to me that this would be like Sotomayor or Kagan or one of the more liberal justices. But getting back to this point of intimidation, there was a question about this actually at the White House press briefing on Thursday. I believe it was from Peter Ducey of Fox News. Who else? And he asked Jen Psaki um, about this this posting of the addresses. And her response was that she believed the president's position was that people are just really passionate about the issue. And I found that to be pretty stunning, considering if something similar had happened in the Trump administration, for example, or really if any Republican had that had that response to the Capitol riot or, or any other instance of violence, Charlottesville, we would never hear the end of it. And the left is just kind of acting like this is normal. Right. It's absolutely unfathomable to imagine. Let's just say... Um, the March for Life, when Trump was president, was really worried about an abortion law. And so they told all these pro-lifers to go to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's house and to protest. And that all these pro-lifers were already really angry and panicking and rallying outside the court. And they took off and went to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's house. I mean, we would have had investigations all over the place. There would be people that were arrested. Um, they would have already had all their social media profiles examined. Like this is, it's absurd. And and yet when Biden's press secretary is asked about it, she says that people are very passionate. I think she was asked about it again today. And I'm not sure who the reporter is that asked her, but the reporter said, does the president want these protesters to kind of influence how the Supreme Court justices feel about this? And Saki's response was, um, I believe she said they didn't have a comment on that. And she said that he supports peaceful protests, but that he also supports the safety of the justices or something very generic like that. He didn't want to disrupt the judicial process. But there's no flat out condemnation of violence. You know, we during the Trump administration, we were constantly hearing Trump being called on to condemn this, condemn that, condemn violence in this area. Nothing, none of that. Uh, Catholic vote, which is this huge... Um, this kind of budding upcoming Catholic organization has been calling for Biden and for Merrick Garland to, first of all, condemn any kinds of violence that might be committed and to condemn any kinds of protests going to the justices' houses, but also to investigate and to protect these churches that might be targeted by these protests. And we haven't heard anything back on that either. I've been asking the White House nothing. Yeah, I mean, they should be investigating, too, or at least helping investigate Chief Justice John Roberts to find out who actually leaked this decision. I mean, this person should be blacklisted from ever working in the legal movement ever again, in my opinion, because it is so beyond the bounds of of normal judicial discourse. It really undermines the entire judicial process. And this is an administration that loves to constantly remind us that Biden is a devout Catholic, as if that somehow justifies his position on abortion, which is that he's pro-abortion, obviously. Like, I, I personally don't care for the euphemisms of like pro-choice and and pro-life. Like, I'm fine with pro-abortion and anti-abortion. I think it gets right at the heart of the issue. 
if you support a woman choosing to kill her child, like to me, you're pro-abortion. It's as simple as that. So Biden and his administration are constantly telling us, well, Biden's a devout Catholic and he comes at this issue from the view of, of someone who's deeply religious. But then his answer about this on, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, was affirming the idea that women have a, a right to abortion. And so I think that is really informing the way that they're responding to these protests. Right. And I mean, we can talk about all day long. You can argue about whether Biden loves God or whether Biden loves his faith. But at the end of the day, the Catholic Church teaches that abortion is a crime against human life and is a mortal sin. And you can't really get around that. That is just Catholic teaching. So Biden touting himself as a devout Catholic or, you know, we always see in the White House, um, all, all the White House press pool reports how he goes to mass every week and they always make a fuss about that. Well, he's not in communion with the Catholic Church if he supports abortion as the president of the United States. And that it, there's there's no dispute about that. So it's very interesting as we continue to hear him be called a devout Catholic or he calls himself a devout Catholic because it's just it's a it's a total farce. Yeah. Let's get a little bit into the actual legal aspect of this because there's been a lot of hand-wringing from people who are, you know, saying this is an attack on your ability to get an abortion and not just that but also an attack on like reproductive rights in general as they call it. And it seems to be lost on a lot of people that overturning Roe v. Wade doesn't immediately make abortion illegal in the U.S. I wish it did as a pro-lifer. Like, I would love that. But that's not what it does, right? It hands the issue back to the states. So if you're someone who wants to, you know, kill your child, you can move to liberal California or you can go to liberal New York and, and do whatever you want. But you just can't live in a state that has pro-life policies and di dictate, uh, you know, what they want to do. And actually, I think that pro-choice people or pro-abortion people, as I call them, should actually prefer it this way because they have a more direct vote in the process because they can elect local politicians who would agree with them on the issue of abortion. That's so true. And you know what? Yesterday I was at the Supreme Court and I saw this woman who was there with her little daughter, actually. This is kind of a, a weird scenario, a little off topic. She was there with her little daughter who was holding a pride flag. The girl was maybe like four years old who's holding a pride flag. I said, what do you think about Roe? What do you think about this leaked draft opinion? So this woman tells me that she fully supports Roe, that she thinks it's a tragedy that Roe might be about to be overturned. And I said, well, what do you think our country will look like if Roe is overturned? And she starts talking about how it's going to be really hard for women to get abortions, how they're going to have to travel, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, how do you feel about the fact that if Roe is overturned, each state's going to decide whether what the abortion laws are there? And I said, isn't it a good thing if that state, these law, state lawmakers elected by the people in the state are deciding what the laws are? She didn't think that was a good thing. She said, she was like, what about the people that are there that want to get abortions? And so, you know, it wasn't there to argue with her. I just wanted to know what all these people thought. But you're so right. If if Roe is overturned, it's going to be a lot more representative of the will of the people in different states based on who they elect and what laws are put forth. So in Texas, I think they are, it's going to be very hard to get abortions, but that's what Texans want. In California, it's going to be a sanctuary state for abortions. And I don't know if that's entirely what Californians want. I've spoken with a lot of Californians that are against 
abortion. But it seems like that is what the elected lawmakers want. And so that's that's how it's going to be in California. Yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out, too, that when you actually pull people on abortion and, and abortion-related policies in general, people tend to be pretty pro-life, meaning the majority of Americans actually agree with bans on abortions after the first trimester. And so a lot of these laws that are coming forward that have been challenging the concept of Roe v. Wade in the first place are actually laws that are supported by most Americans. I mean, they're things like heartbeat bills and 15-week bans and and things that generally have a lot of popular support. So it's not like these are really extreme measures or things that would be, you know, generally unsavory to most voters. Right. And I think the polling on this is so interesting because we saw, I think the Knights of Columbus do really good polling on abortion in, uh, they work with Marist polling and they always break it down very specifically what they mean. So when you pull Americans and say, do you support Roe v. Wade? Most people say yes, because it's popular and it's, you know, it's, they think, oh, of course I support Roe v. Wade. But then when you say, okay, so do you support unlimited access to abortion? They're like, wait, what? And then when you say, do you support abortion late term in the third trimester? They're like, what? And then if you break it down even more and you say, okay, so if, if a baby is, what are 28 weeks, do you think that baby should be still be able to be aborted? They're like, what? So it, it's not, it is not as simple as people portray it. And honestly, that kind of polling is ex- incredibly irresponsible and unfair, but we've seen it for years. I think that's kind of why you see the Democrats in Congress not try to legislate a Roe v. Wade style bill because they could enshrine abortion rights federally tomorrow if they wanted to. I mean, they have control of the House and the Senate and the presidency. A bill like that would presumably have the support of of the Democratic controlled Congress, but they won't do it because it's actually incredibly unpopular. And the fact that they haven't done it since Roe v. Wade was enacted, what, like, what has it been, 50, 60 years now? I think that really just tells you that they realize, you know, that this is not a winning issue. And I've seen a lot of people say, well, this leak is going to really harm Republicans in the midterms because now Republicans have to defend their position on abortion. But I don't think it's as hard to defend as people are alleging. I want to link this all back to some reporting you did. I believe it was last month where you actually went to the D.C. abortion clinic where some pro-life advocates got in trouble because they had been tipped off to the fact that they were performing these really late term abortions and partial birth abortions and had um, been able to get the uh, corpses of the fetuses. And it was the pictures of it were really, really gruesome. And to me, it was a really you know, quite graphic, but important representation of what abortion really is. And a lot of people don't really get to see that, you know, firsthand. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience going to that clinic and some of the things that you saw there? Because, I mean, that's such a a raw and real example of of what Roe v. Wade is enabling. Yes. So you're right. Most people don't see this type of um, very up-close look at abortions. And these pictures were very upsetting. I, I'm sure they upset you. They upset most people who saw them. They're very gruesome pictures of aborted babies. And I personally am not a huge fan of showing images like this. I think that they're very upsetting and they can especially be upsetting for someone who's had a miscarriage or you know, um, someone that is not familiar with this type of issue. And it can even push people away and think, oh, these crazy pro-lifers, they're trying to show these very graphic images of babies. Be that as it may. In this case, 
these babies that were found, what the pro-lifers are saying, what some lawmakers are saying is it looks like they were aborted using illegal partial birth abortion methods, which is a huge deal. They also are wondering if the babies were aborted when they were born alive, which would also be a huge deal. And of course, it's a huge deal no matter how, how they were aborted, but the law in the United States right now kind of protects abortionists in a lot of these areas, except when they violate the Partial Birth Abortion Act of 2003 or the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Protection Act. So that's why people are harping on these two points. Now, I went to the clinic of the doctor who was performing these abortions in in Foggy Bottom, D.C. I went down there when all of this was breaking because we just couldn't get any answers. We were reporting on this for several days, asking, you know, the D.C. medical examiner and Mayor Muriel Bowser and um, the Metropolitan Police Department for answers. The clinic wouldn't tell us anything. So finally, I went down there to ask the clinic some questions and see if I could uncover anything. Well, I got there. The clinic wouldn't tell me anything. They're on the fourth floor of a of a foggy bottom office building. And I went up there and on my way in, I saw a woman coming out with a man. And I think he was her husband or her boyfriend. And they went out into the hall. And so after I talked to the nurses in the clinic or the, the abortion workers, they told me that the doctor wasn't in, the abortionist, Dr. Santangelo. I think they were lying because there were a bunch of patients in the pa- waiting room. And I walked out of that clinic and I bumped into a woman who told me that she was actively undergoing an abortion. And so I, I'm talking to this woman. She's in incredible pain. She's leaning on the wall, just kind of heaving and moaning. And her boyfriend or husband, whoever it was, he looked up at me and his eyes were all red. He looked like he had been crying and he was in distress. And she told me that they had just taken the tubes out, which not to get too graphic, but when you're when you're having an abortion, they put in certain types, they put in laminaria, which is usually seaweed. And that's to help you kind of dilate so they can get in there and get at the baby. So they had just taken that out and she was going to go in for the rest of the procedure. So I'm standing there in the hall talking to this woman who's literally in the middle of her abortion. And I was just so shocked and I was talking to her. And then the abortion clinic worker stuck her head out the door And was like, don't talk to her. Don't talk to her. And the couple was kind of confused and they looked at me. They weren't sure if they should stay. And I told them, she doesn't want you to talk to me because I'm a reporter. And, you know, in retrospect, I'm kind of like, why did I say that? I could have said so many things, but you don't really know in the, in the moment, you're not really sure. Things just kind of pop into your head. I wish I told her, do you want to be here? Do you want to have this abortion? What's going on? Um, is it too late? Can I help you? I wish I said, ask her all those things. You know, um, my job as a reporter was to be there and to ask questions, but I think it would have been totally fair to say, do you want to be here? Because we know that a lot of women are put in these situations, not of their own will. And anyways, they went into the clinic and I told her to contact me if she could at the Daily Wire. And I haven't heard from her. So I left. I was I was so shocked by that incident. We wrote about it at the Daily Wire Um, We thought it was important to tell people about this and to give them kind of a good inside look at the um, just this very intimate moment of what goes on in an abortion clinic. This woman was so upset. Her boyfriend, her husband was so upset. I have no idea if they wanted to be there or not or if if they were, um, you know, what their relationship was to one another. Uh, But it was a very, very upsetting moment. And it's really uh, it'll stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that is a really important reminder of what exactly the stakes are here and why 
this is so important for people to be paying attention to. And Mary Margaret, reporter for The Daily Wire, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast with us today. Thank you, Amber. This was great. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. 